Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. The Freshman Foundation helps young athletes be ready for every next step in the game of life through mental performance coaching. Before we get started with this episode, I'm so excited that the Freshman Foundation digital course is live after months of dedicated design and development and years of rattling around in my head. I'm very proud to have accomplished this goal. In episode 12 of the Freshman Foundation podcast, Vanessa Shannon, the Cincinnati Reds Director of Mental Performance, talks about her experiences serving student-athletes while at the University of Louisville. She suggested that incoming student-athletes often struggle with going from being a big fish in a small pond to being an average-sized fish in a big pond. This course is designed to provide you with the tools to avoid being an average fish when you get to college and being a big fish from day one. My research has led me to teach five key skills in this course, growth mindset, resourcefulness, confidence, resilience, and building a support network. The course is highly interactive. You'll be asked to challenge yourself to reflect, build self-awareness, and practice these core skills both inside and outside of the course. At the end of the course, I expect that you will be ready to attack the jump to collegiate athletics. So, are you in? Visit michaelvhuber.com backslash course to learn more and enroll now. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation Podcast. Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast. Helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond. With your host, Michael Huber. Have you ever made lemonade out of bad lemons in your athletic career? Welcome to the Freshman Foundation, a podcast that helps young athletes and their families be ready for every next step in the game of life. Today, we host Dr. Empress Rose Green, a former track star turned coach due to a career-ending injury. Now, she's revolutionizing the narrative around sports and entrepreneurship. From her Jamaican spirit and pride in sports to her evolution as an entrepreneur, she shares her story of resilience and adaptation. Rose offers insights into the sacrifices entrepreneurship demands and how her sports background instilled in her discipline, mindset, and perseverance. We also discuss the parallels between sports and business, two arenas where significant investments often come without guaranteed success. Let's build your foundation with Dr. Empress Rose Green. Hello, Dr. Empress Rose. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks. I am happy to be here. You know, the Freshman Foundation. I've heard a little bit about you, so I'm quite excited to be here today. Thank you. I'm excited too. Uh, and we're going to talk about all the wonderful things that you're doing right now. Um, we know you're an entrepreneur. We know you have a book coming out. We'll, we'll get into all that. I think where I wanted to start it because where I wanted to start because of the sort of the, the typical, um, profile of this audience is, is your athletic background. So mm -hmm. could you talk a little bit about your, your sort of experience in sports, maybe as an athlete and, and a coach? Yes. Um, well, I, in high school, I actually, well, before I got to high school in primary school, I ventured into running just about every race um, up to the mile. So I did 
100, 200, 400, 800 to the mile. Um, I was running, competing, everything, and winning everything. And, um, you know, so I had a great mentor who actually, um, you know, knew that, okay, the basis for me to have a good education as well as to be able to do the sports, you know, take part in all the sporting activities. And I was able to, um, you know, maneuver through both of them. I really loved um, track and fields. Well, I can't say loved because I still do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then going into high school, I actually um, started to do a little bit of more sprinting, um, not worrying too much about the longer distances, um, sprinting and high jump. Um, I was a very good high high jump um, person as well, but to be frank with you, I, I can't remember like how I did it. <laughs> that period, we have to ask myself, I don't know how I got over that hole to begin with you. So, but I know in terms of sprinting, it doesn't matter what age I am. If I get to the starting line, whoever is there just have to beat me because I will never tell myself you're going to beat me. I'm a competitor at heart. Um, I came here just out of high school, migrated here to the U.S. I, of course, um, yourself and your listeners probably um, can hear the strong Jamaican accent back there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you that question just to make sure, but you beat me to it. Yeah. So I, I migrated here to the U.S. Um, but, but before I actually um, talk about migrating to the U.S., I have a lot of awards that I won, a few awards that I won in high school as an outstanding athlete, one of them sitting on my <laughs> over here to my right. Yeah, so um, I was doing exceptionally well, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to follow in the footsteps of Merlene Audie. She was my favorite. She was my um, influence. Um, and then migrated here to the U.S., and then I was like, wait, it's cold. How is this going to happen, you know? So, of course, it is. I started to, you know, telling my parents I want to go home, telling my mom I would like to go back home. And she said, no, you're crazy. There there are opportunities here, um, and you'll get used to the weather. But it took me a while to get used to the weather. Now I am so accustomed to the weather. I actually prefer um, the cold versus the heat, which is Interesting. interesting right now. Yeah. So, so when you when you migrated to the U.S., where did you where did you land? In um, Massachusetts, of course, Boston, Massachusetts, of all places. Um, my uncle, um, who had resided in the U.S. for years, um, he was the one who you know filed for us to come over, and um, we came over April thirtieth, April thirtieth, and um, of course, you know. Around April, May, the weather started to change. So there are days where the weather would be great. And I would just leave the house and um, in practically nothing. And coming home, I'm like, oh, my God, just so cold. So <laughs> it took me a while to get used to it. So, of course, you know, the training here, um, I had to push myself yeah. to um, get into training in Boston. I actually coached myself for a while to ensure that um, I could withstand it before contacting a coach, you know, to train with them. Cause I just, just had to make sure I was prepared to be in mm -hmm. that zone. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, no, that uh, that makes sense. Um, so I want to go back. I mean, obviously, you know, well, it's it's obvious to me. Maybe it's not obvious to somebody who's listening, but I mean, Jamaica has this, you know, storied culture of sprinters, right? Most people know Usain Bolt, but the the Merlin Adis. I mean, there's so many great sprinters that you know, growing up, like those are names I remember from the 1984 Olympics and the 88 and whatever. Right. So like, what was it like, what was it like competing in that environment when you were growing up? Um, it's, you know, compared to here, it's very different because I've coached here in the U S high school students as well. And I have watched, I've gone in and I've overseen programs to see just how they work. The difference for us in Jamaica is that you have to do sport. It's not, oh, you can't, you have to. It doesn't matter if you're 90 pounds or if you're 200 pounds, you have to do sports. Um, and I'm glad that that was something that was instilled in us because it goes a long way. It goes beyond track and field. It goes, you know, back to when, you know, in order to stay healthy, even after competing and stuff like that, that you would have to know certain things and how to get through it. Um, very competitive, I must tell you. Jamaicans, very competitive, especially on the um, on the sports scene. Um, for primary school, we have sports day, which we compete against other primary schools. And the idea is to come out on top because then we'll get to go to champs, you know, in Kingston, which is the capital, and we're able to show our skills. And um, some of the, you know, Merlin Hart, you might show up to sports day and greet us and stuff like that so we always look forward you know to getting out there as well but um all in all jamaican um athletes it doesn't matter which school you go to everything is a competition (laughs) yes yeah so i i don't know if i told you this but i interviewed another gentleman uh from jamaica who is a canadian citizen and he ran for the canadian olympic team i think it was 1988 Mm Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was, a, maybe it was a 400 meter relay. Um, but yes, so very interesting guy. And it was the same, the reason I bring it up is because the same um, energy came through in the conversation about the competitiveness, right? Like yeah. how important it was to win and how important it was to show that I was the best. And that, and I thought, it, and it wasn't from a place of arrogance. It was from a place of pride of like, I've worked so hard to get here. Like this yes. is my place. And I think that that's a great thing, right? Especially when you come from a small nation, right? Like mm-hmm. to be that powerful in a particular sport and then be able to show the world how good you are at something, it's got to be a, a pretty significant source of pride. It is. It is. But, you know, um, Jamaica, um, there are certain things um, with Jamaica, though, that's like a double-edged sword because – you, you want to go to school, you would like to do track and field, you would like to do well. But it depends also what household you are in. Because um, just as how, for instance, you go to Ghana and Nigeria and you talk sports and the parents do not want to hear anything about track and field. They want their kids to become doctors, right? So um, my parents were doctors. And so I can't talk track and field. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was good, but I couldn't talk track and field. All my parents kept saying, you, know, you have to have an education. They don't, don't want to hear about the track and field side of it. So no matter how great I was, um, which is another thing, you know, and it's something that we teach here in the States where um, we have to teach that psychology in terms of parents and encouraging parents to come out and see their kids because it actually helps. During my tenure as an athlete, none of my parents showed up for, you know, competing at any of my races. I, I, my dad showed up one day and he told me he was impressed, but that was it. It was always about the books. So I was a very great athlete, but it stopped at the door. All you want to hear about is the books. Yeah. Well, I mean, culturally, I think that that's, it's going to be different, right? Across cultures. Um, and listen, I think there's a fine line here in the United States. I think most parents here nowadays are very, very involved and they're too involved in some ways. Right. So there's, you could yeah, cross the line from being right. Right. Is it, but, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting point that you raise because when I was growing up, my parents were not involved, very involved mm -hmm. either. And as I look back on that experience, right. Like I think there's a lot of regret in the sense that like I did it on my own, but at the same yeah. time I look back and go like, if my parents were so caught up in my athletic mm -hmm. performance, would it have been worse? Because I was hard on myself as it was okay. to begin with. Now, if I have, I have uh, adults around me getting on my case about like, you should have done this. You should have done that. You should do more. My anxiety would have been through the roof. So actually, like, you know, I could see it both ways. But when you're working so hard to be good at something, you, you want to be recognized, especially by your parents. And so, like, how do you think that that their mindset about academics over ac athletics, how did that affect your, your career as a track and field athlete? Um, I wanted to celebrate with my parents, you know, tell them about how good everyone else think that I was. And um, I just couldn't do that. However, um, in 2004, as I trained for my Olympic trials, I got injured. And there is a little, you know, with my book that's coming out in July, I just had a book that I released, but that book is a book of poems. And of course, it's autobiographical. But the written literate um, publication that will um, come out in July. Um, this is something that I speak on as well. In one sense, I was so happy that my parents pushed me to be to go to school um, and to get an education because when I got injured in 2004, um, due to that injury, I wasn't able to walk for a year and 10 months. And I had to think there was nobody there. So all my friends, they didn't see, they didn't come around anymore. Yeah. It was my, I have two kids, a boy and a girl. <laughs> and they were the ones who actually um, was there for me and um, to get me, you know, the necessary things that I need. And, and I had to think, well, I've spent so much money going to the doctors and stuff. I'm running out of money. What do I got to do? But there it goes, you know, I have the background in terms of being so talented and, and doing different, you know, things and can do different things to survive. I had to tap into that. And it wasn't just because I was street smart. It was because of the education that they pushed me to get. Yeah, right. You know, and I think that 
Well, there's there's just a couple couple things in there that I, I want to ask you about, right? Like, how much how much do you think that your experience as an athlete helped you to be resourceful in that situation? Um, I would say a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, the the athleticism is a, it's what is a premise of everything that I do. And that discipline goes beyond track and field. It goes beyond just about everything. Um, when I couldn't walk, there it goes. That's the thing that helped me to push and say, listen, do you remember running 12 seconds and then you got to 11 and you had to push yourself? This is one of those moments where you have to push yourself to move forward. There, you know, um, Days where it is I went through so many different things, but it is that always come back to that place where you remember the strength that you have, that you instill within your training, that made you great and a great athlete. Even when you lost, it wasn't a loss. It was just that somebody else did better than you today. And if you wanted to be better than them tomorrow, you just had to go back to the drawing board and work a little bit harder as well. Yeah. I, well, I think I love what you just said because it's, it's, it, it comes through in so much of my own work where I think it makes so much sense the way you just framed that those two sentences, right? Like somebody was just better than me today, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they're better than me tomorrow or they were better than me than yesterday. They're just better than me today. And what can I learn from the experience to go back to the drawing board and get yes. better? And, and I think a lot of times athletes don't have that mindset. They have the mindset of, I got beat. I'm not good. Oh, that's it. <laughs> and, and they shut and mm-hmm. yeah, and they shut down and they shut down yeah. and they don't have the resilience to come back because they feel like, well, um, I, I should have done this. And mm-hmm. you know, as a competitor, right? If you're a competitor, there's just going to be some days where you get beat. Someone's yeah. better or you have a bad day, but it doesn't mean you're not going to come back and compete, compete tomorrow. And I think that doesn't always, doesn't always happen. So at that point, when you were going through the injury, you said was it a year and 10 months, you said? A year and 10 months. Yes. Was that was that was that the point in your life where you were? Did you retire from track and field at that point? Well, no. Um, what happened is that um, I ended up. I spent a mass amount of money here in the U.S. I was misdiagnosed at first, so when I fell, um, I was told that I sprained my ankle, and I was in a boot for six weeks. I came out of that boot. And I started training again, still trying to see if I could make the trials. And um, I remember going to my um, massage therapist and he says to me, he says, Rose, your ankle is dangling. What are you talking about? I said, look, your ankle is dangling. You need to get an MRI. That does not look good. And that's how I ended up just getting an MRI. And, and um, from the MRI, recognizing that um, I fractured four bones in my ankle. So oh. I was actually competing on fractured bones. Oh my goodness. Yes. I have a very high tolerance for pain. Apparently, apparently you yes. do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. with that injury, um, you know, because of where I was in my career, what I'm looking forward to, if they had to um, put pins, I had, a, you know, it was between putting pins in my ankle which I would have limited or no movement. Um, or, or I was told I may not be able to compete at the volume that I was. Or to stay off of it for a year. And basically they would make me a brace and snap it back in place. And I chose the brace. 
snap it back in place and that I would stay off of it for a year. But after a year, it didn't get better. So I, um, I ended up actually going to Jamaica and I'm seeing the um, athletics, the doctor, and he gave me some pointers what to do. And in about two, three months, I was able to start running again. Um, but after I started running, I said, okay, you know what? I'll train for 2008. So in 2007 to late 2006, I started training, but every time I would run, I would see black spots, um, when I'm running, when I'm sprinting. And so after going to the doctors, um, eight different doctors, they told me there was nothing wrong with me. Until one day I said, there's definitely something wrong because I know I almost fainted. And that was it. I walked into the hospital. They told me if I was outside five more minutes, I would have dropped dead. My, um, when I didn't, couldn't walk, it created blood clots in my legs. Oh, okay. Through my lungs. Oh my so goodness. I was told that I couldn't compete again because of that. Yeah. How old were you? How old were you at that point? Um, I, I don't even remember. Um, huh. let's see. <laughs> um, that was, I had to be like around 20, 25, 20, 25, 26. Yeah. Okay. I was told so, that I couldn't compete anymore. So, um, I was already coaching on the side, but I didn't, you know, delve into coaching like that, but it appears that whoever I coached, they always better their time. And that is something that I can say throughout my entire coaching career. Whoever, whichever athletes I've trained, they have never ran the same time that they come to me. They've always yeah. better their time. Excellent. How, so you were already coaching at that point, but how, like, you know, how was your transition into retirement? Like, what was that like for you? It was very hard. Yeah. It was very hard. I was very depressing to say the least. I got very depressed because I didn't want to stop competing. You know, I had a goal and I felt like I was robbed from that goal. I remembered um, there was an athlete I mentored on the Jamaican team. And when I told her, I says, I will not be able to, you know, compete anymore. And and she looked at me and she says, um, well, you know, God has different plans for us. And maybe that's your plan. You do it so well with coaching, you know. You are the one who influenced me because I was the one who influenced her, actually. And um, she made it all the way to the Olympics. And she got to the Olympics. She couldn't even believe she was at the Olympics. She called me crying, saying she can't compete. She can't believe she's here. Something that she wanted. So now she was telling me that, you know, um, I am a very good coach. And maybe that's what I should be doing versus competing god has different plans for us but i was so upset i heard him talk to her for five years <laughs> yeah i mean but listen i mean when you work your whole life toward yeah. a goal like being in the olympics right yeah. and it doesn't happen i can't imagine that it's hard it's hard not to be angry or bitter that it was ended and it was ended because of something that was out of your control which was the injury right and so yeah. That's, that's, that's life. And I think, you know, it's easy to look back, not easy, but when you look back on things and you go, oh, okay, this makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. after all these years that, Hey, maybe it was my purpose to be here helping athletes yeah. 
you know, and, and that was the way I was going to move forward. But in that moment, right? Like, no, you're like, yeah. that's my spot. Why aren't I running? Like, I can't yeah, believe I'm, I'm not saying, going, right? And I'm saying, you made it to the Olympics. Why would I not want to go? You know, I, 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 there was someone, I was coaching as well as I, um, I promoted a, a track and field awards ceremony. So I was also, I put myself out there as, you know, I was already promoting various events and I promoted the New England Track and Field Awards Ceremony as the one who initiated it. And the athletes were just like, so they were loving it because they had something to look forward to every year, whereas they didn't have something like that before. So I was also, you know, very good at that as well. And the athletes were so happy. So, yeah. She recommended, she's like, you know, you're doing these things and you do them very well, but maybe it's not just your time. Yeah. That was that. How long, how long did you coach for? Well, I've been coaching for over 20 years. Yeah. So you're still coaching today. Yeah. I was coaching, Mm. but, um, I didn't take it serious. I was, you know, persons would just come to me and ask me for pointers and I would give it to them and it worked. Um, so as I was told that I couldn't compete anymore, I went full fledged into, um, coaching, um, and now, and still training, doing some little things, um, by myself as well. Um, just, you know, to stay in shape. Yeah. So now, now your, your world has changed pretty significantly you're into um you know i think the way you describe yourself as a serial entrepreneur right and i think that yes. as somebody who's an entrepreneur myself i think this is something i'm always very interested in so mm-hmm. tell me about that that path right when you started to sort of pick up new things or you know start new businesses and try new things like like what was that like for you like how did it make you feel in the process um well here's the thing um even though I did track and field, I always have a small business on the side. And I, I started promoting, which was my first thing I started doing when I came in the U.S., by um, arranging for other musicians to travel to the U.S. And I would rent, you know, uh, different venues and do all the work or whatever. I, so I was a promoter. Um, so I had that as well. And even though I did sports, um, I was always doing music as well. And I just grow into, it's just natural for me because I re- I started writing songs at a very young age as well um, and studying, you know, the music notes and everything like that. So that just come natural. So when someone asks me, can you write a song for me? And I was like, okay, no problem. You know, that's, that's it. It was never yeah. a problem for me because it's something <laughs> that I always do. So it was easy for me to maneuver into start writing for other artists across the world. So now it's not only that I do track, you know, I write programs for some of the track and field athletes, but I mm-hmm. also write for some of the musicians across the world Wow! in different languages as well, because I speak nine languages. Really? Nine. So yeah. what, what are the nine languages that you speak? I, so in high school, um, depending which high school you go in Jamaica, you attend in Jamaica, you you learn language, a few languages there. So I already had learned French and Spanish there. 
Um, and then for my dad, I traveled to Africa a few times with him. Well, um, so I speak um, tree, which is spoken in Ghana. I understand pidgin English, which is spoken in Nigeria. Um, I speak some Portuguese, um, French Creole, um, and I speak Shona, which is which is um, in Zimbabwe, which I learned recently. And my mom used to reside in Curacao, so I speak Papimento. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot of languages. <laughs> I think, you know, I was just saying to someone that, you know, I need to do my ancestry because all my brothers and sisters speak numerous language. My mom speaks 12. I have a brother that just passed away. He spoke 15. And I, I have a grandson that speaks four languages and he's only six years old. Wow. So I want to check it out to find out so, about this so- M historical that's going on here yeah yeah that's so fascinating so so you went from from being an athlete to being a coach Mm -hmm. you were writing writing songs Mm -hmm. and you've moved in you've moved into writing right you've written how many how many books have you written um i probably have around six books right now um that i've written thus far um and i do films as well so the last film that I did is um, The Battle of Adwa. Um, this is when the Italians um, colonized Ethiopia. Um, so I wrote a song and I didn't realize, well, when the person asked me to write the song, I didn't realize that it would have been a song that Ethiopia adopted. Um, so I wrote it for um, Grammy award, um, a Grammy winner, Brian Gold. He's a reggae artist. Um, um, one gold alongside with Shaggy and um, and Tony Gold, and I wrote the song for him. And then it was afterwards, and I I was told that yeah, it's for the Ethiopian Federation. Um, and so I wrote that song last year, and then this year for the Battle of Adwa anniversary, I did the short film, um, and include the song within the film itself as yeah. well. That's yeah. so. So cool, very cool. I, 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 I mean, I love, the, I love the creativity that comes with entrepreneurship in the sense that, like, there is no one right answer. Typically, yes. it's, it's like trying to find something that works, but like, then you take it to the next level, which is creating art, right? Creating music, creating writing. Like that's that. It's a very, it's a very interesting. Um, world and start. In fact, I just started reading a book about um, creativity. About creativity? And, yeah, creative creation of art. It's by uh, Rick Rubin, the, the pro- music producer um, mm-hmm. who produced like the Beastie Boys and like all these acts. Right. He wrote a book called The Creation of Art, and it's. I just started reading it. And it's a very interesting, very short chapters, but he has a very like uh, existential view on creating. And I just, I, I just find the process fascinating, and I think it's really cool when people can go out and create and continue to create new things and like have that sort of you know, under, you know, that, that motivation all the time and that, that gift, uh, to do it. And I think it's really, I think it's really cool. So I guess the question I wanted to ask you just in general is, mm-hmm. so like being in entrepreneurship, like what are some of the qualities or skills or things that you've learned that parallel with sports? Um, 
of course, uh, you know, sports take precedence. Um, it's like the premise, even with doing, you know, with the entrepreneurship, it, it teaches you a lot. Because being an athlete and training at the volume that I trained at, it teaches you um, loyalty, how to be loyal. Not only, you know, you, you're not with a team now, so to speak, but to be loyal um, to the persons that you serve, um, to the profession that you have and to uphold that IS standard. So um, needless to say, you know, um, even though I'm an introvert, yeah, I'm an introvert. Me too. Um, and I'm out there in this world that, you know, is not introverted and is like, oh, I just want to stay in the back and do what I do. So persons that will actually see me on your podcast be like, oh my gosh, she's finally showing her face. <laughs> yeah. But um, the thing about it is that um, me, um, sports has a lot to do with setting the tone to how it is that you work within um, the prof- whatever profession you do as an entrepreneur. It's going to help you along the way, you know, um, to shape what you do. I woke up at 5.30 every day to train um, from primary school, you know, and so my body's used to it. And it actually helps me during this entrepreneurship, you know, as well. By the time I get up at 5.30 and I get a lot of work done and the world is awake, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, oh, I already got you. I, I, I am way ahead, you know. Um, yeah. So it actually, it actually helps, actually helps. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's the, it's the discipline, right? And, and I've had, mm-hmm. I've had those moments of, of, of being able to sort of create these analogies in my brain, right? Where, like you said, like if I was able to get up at five thirty every day to train, then why can't I get yeah. up five thirty every day now to invest in my business, in my businesses, business. right? Yes. Right. And you're creating that discipline for yourself, which like sports gives you that. Cause I think for a lot of people who are not involved in sports at a young age, th- they may not be as disciplined or it may be harder for them or it's just less, less common. And I think that that's something that a lot of people will, will share. Um, what was, what, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say like, you know, um, to piggyback on the creative, um, aspect, um, the book of poems that I just, um, came out a few days ago, I have a, poem within that book that talks about creativity. And I'm actually going to be writing a separate book about creativity and how important it is um, um, with sports and being a creative because they go hand in hand as well. Um, And the creative, there is actually a creative scale that's used to measure how creative you are. If you are a big C or a little C, um, as well within your industry, you know, little secret just means that you're, you would like to create things from now and again, but big C you dabble in, you're not as afraid of being a creative and you know, that comes with money. So you have to be prepared as an entrepreneur. Are you, are you willing to lose thousands of dollars to chase your dream? You know, yeah. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> Yes, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I, but I think so, so the parallel I've been starting to draw and it's a lot of it's through these conversations. Cause a lot of the people who come onto the podcast are former athletes who've moved into entrepreneurship and yes. the parallel, the parallel I draw is when you get involved in sports, when you're a kid, 
Like you're investing all your time and your energy and money. You're making sacrifices for an outcome that's unknown, right? Unknown. But you're still still doing it, believing that you're going to reach this goal. And entrepreneurship is basically the same thing, right? You're investing everything you have into this business, money, and and I'm, 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 I'm committed to it no matter what. And I don't know what the heck's coming out the other end, but I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And most people don't appreciate that, understand it. They're not comfortable with it. They want security. They want certainty. Give me a paycheck every two weeks. And I want to know what, what, what's coming. And for us, (laughs) you know, it's, Hey, look, I'm going. I I believe in this. I'm going to go. I'm going to give it all all I've got. And if I fall on my face, it won't be the first time, right? And I you think know, it's a. Go ahead. You know, um, I a friend of a friend of mine. I just um actually said it on my radio program a few weeks ago. A friend of mine called me, and he has a nine to five, and he says, "I'm going to quit. I want to be like you." And I was telling them, I was laughing so hard. I was like, if you have any idea what you're saying, what you're saying right now, you better be prepared. There are days that I went to bed with nothing to eat, you know, and I, and, and, and the clients don't want to hear that. Well, no, when is my work going to get done? (laughs) They don't want to hear that. And you just have to make things work. You know, um, if you're not prepared to put in the work, being an entrepreneur is not you know, it's not going to be easy. I'm not discouraging anyone to not try it and go out there and follow your dreams, but just know that it's a lot of work that you have yeah. to put in on a daily basis. Yeah. And and I think, I, I think w- w- my own experience was when I decided that I wanted to go down this road in my life, cause I, I wasn't always this way was mm-hmm. I prepared, I prepared for that transition. Like I knew it was going to be hard. I knew that there, I didn't know how much money I was going to make. I knew that there was going to be all these questions and like, I got myself mentally prepared for it. You know, like, Hey, you're going into this, like know what you're getting into. And then once I'm in, I'm in. Right. But I think for a lot of people, they like the idea of it. They like mm-hmm. the idea of the entrepreneurial lifestyle. I don't have to work for somebody else. It sounds so great. Blah, 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 blah. And then you get into well, it. Right. And then, and there's no paycheck or there's well, right. You don't like get the results you, that you I want. Didn't know. You right? know, where did it, where it is that you knew? I didn't know. I was just like, oh, this is what I want to do. And I dive into it. And then when I lost all my um, life savings, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> what do I do now? You know? So um, yeah, that's why even, you know, my friend, when I said, I says, listen, you better be prepared. Because if you do not have the tools, life will humble you and oh. it will teach you. <laughs> Yeah, what it is that yeah. you do not know. <laughs> well, I think we're very, I think we're very similar in a lot in a lot of ways. So, so, yeah. so tell tell me about tell me about the book that's coming out, the the, the anthology of your poems. Oh, so the book was released um, on Monday. No, I'm okay. sorry, Tuesday, mm-hmm. last Tuesday, and um, it's. I tell you, I am, I am humbled by persons. You know, well. I am humbled in a sense, but before years ago, a story, I, I lost everything and I was homeless living out of my car with two kids and I worked my way back. Mm-hmm. I worked my way back. So something that I learned with coming back is that when somebody on social media reach out to you and says, you know, I see you doing something and I want to give you like some pointers or I want to send you an article, you never say no. 
because you don't know who is who. And you, and even though, you, especially in the industries that I work, you're never too old to learn. And that's something that I learned over time is like, you know, just go along with the flow. So I released this book and you don't know who is looking as well when you're working. Never. You do not know who is looking and watching and saying, yeah, she works hard or she's doing something and I'm going to help her or I'm going to say something to her. I woke up the morning and I'm, I received a few messages across social media and persons that were telling me, I read your book and I was crying. I read your book and I was in tears. I, thanks for the book. And I'm like, I didn't, even, I, I didn't even know I was going to sell up. To be frank with you, I didn't even know I was going to sell one copy. Of course not. You have no idea. <laughs> right? And so when you say that to someone as an entrepreneur, it's like, how would you not know that? You just don't know. Because we. How are you going to, how do you know, right? <laughs> so many phases of entrepreneurism that you don't know. But to wake up and see persons that I don't have no idea who these people are, purchase the book. That's and very tell cool. me what was their favorite poem. And ask me questions, you know, like what happened here? And it's like, wow, I was floored. So um, it has been making its rounds and I've been promoting it um, heavily, heavily yeah. as well. And I yeah. have persons now who have jumped in, who I don't even know that shares the book with other persons and said, listen, read this book. That's so great. I said, oh, look uh, at that. That's the best. Well, that's the best way to build an audience, right? When, when someone recommends something, whether it's a book, a movie, a TV show, whatever it is, uh, a coach, when you recommend somebody like those people are going to listen because they trust those people. Right. So clearly yes. you're doing something right. And I'm glad you shared that story. It's funny you say that, like, you know, I haven't written a book and I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I will one day, but I, I just started building this course that I've been mm -hmm. thinking about for some time. And it's the same idea, right? I'm investing, can I end up investing thousands of dollars into the course? Like, and, and all the time I've put in, and I have no idea if one person is going to buy this course, right? right. I have no, when I launch it, I'll find out, but like yeah. you believe in it, right? You believe in what you're, you're doing. And you're like, yeah. I have faith in myself. I have faith in what I'm saying is important and valuable. And I'm going to give it everything. And if I don't sell a copy, well, I know that that's a possibility, but at least I tried, right? Yeah. Versus not trying at all. And I think when you put that energy, I mean, not to get too far flung here, but when you put that energy into the world, I think people pick up on it, even if you don't realize, like you yes. said, they're, watch they're watching you. They're watching. And, and you, you may put something out and then, you know, this being an entrepreneur, there's so many different angles to what you do within your, you know, your job yourself. And they may come to you for another service that has nothing yes. to do with what you're, <laughs> you're doing. And somebody may strike up a conversation from the book going out. Um, I have a lady that reached out to me. She didn't even know that I used to be an athlete and stuff like that. And she has a son who wants to get into track and field and um, he's very good, but she don't know where to go for a coach or a coach and stuff like that. And just from talking to me and she was so happy. She was like, Oh my God. Can you help me out? <laughs> and I paired her with a coach that you know that I know can work with um, mm. her child until a certain age. So you never know. You there never you go. Know. Yes, that's great. So I, I mean, as as we wrap up, the the one the last question I always ask everybody, Rose, is mm -hmm. what's the one piece of advice you'd leave to somebody listening to this? 
and you could do it from the pr- perspective as not, of, of an entrepreneur or however you see fit. But like, I like to leave them with one thing so that they can sort of say, okay, if I get nothing else from this podcast, here's the one thing I got. So like, what would that piece of advice be? Um, to, when we talk about persons, you know, we're going through a very difficult period. People blame it on COVID and whether it be COVID or other things that are going on in our world. Um, just know that, you know, there's always a way out. There's always, um, another day. My parents always say to me something my mom always say, actually, she always tell me, she's like, just remember, there's always someone out there who's worse than you. There's always somebody out there that's worse than what you're going through. So don't think that it's the worst. You will just have to keep on going, keep on going. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and even reading the book of poems will show some of the things that I've been through. Um, I'm a cancer survivor. I there's just a lot to the book. You know? I, I think so, I think you need to I think you need to write an autobiography. The story <laughs> is incredible. Yes, I have a book that will be coming out in the future. It's called Miracle Baby. I wanted to release it for 2020 um, because I'd also written a song for the Olympics. Um, however, the Olympics never happened. And I just decided that the time wasn't right to put it out as yet. But I wanted to use that platform then. Um, it was called Miracle Baby, um, fueled by music and track and field. Miracle Baby, because it's, I, it's always a miracle, the amount of things that I've been through. And I've been able to pull myself out since birth. I was born weighing a pound and an ounce. One pound, one ounce at 27 weeks. So a miracle from birth. So I, I named incredible. the Miracle Baby. And it will come out sometime in the future. But for now, my focus is on um, just putting out those stories um, for the poems. What I did was, if, for the book of poems, it summarizes what each chapter is about. And you can gauge by what the poem is saying, what is to be expected in the book that will come out in July. Okay, that's great. So where can people find the book? Um, it's on Apple Book. I haven't okay. put it anywhere else except Apple Book. And so all okay. Android users are like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we need it as well. So um, what I've been doing for persons with Android, once they have Gmail or Facebook, I'm on Wattpad, which is an app um, for um, authors. So what I do is I release parts of the book two to three days per week. I released two parts last week. And so we'll be in order. So I already released the preface. This week I released the foreword and uh, one of the poems as Excellent. well. That's great. Yes. Um, well, I've... Congratulations on doing that. It's an amazing accomplishment. And I'm looking forward to getting my hands on the book myself and, and reading it because I, I think there's just oh, so much to be learned. Copy. All right. There we go. <laughs> All my interviews, I am giving <laughs> a signed copy. That sounds wonderful. I'm really looking forward to that. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. This was great, great conversation. And uh, let's stay in touch and, and maybe do it again in the future. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's it's a pleasure being here. And to everyone out there, just remember, there's always, tomorrow's always another day. Keep pushing (laughs) through. It's a great way to end. (laughs) Thank you so much, Rose. Thanks, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Same. So, 
What was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Dr. Empress Rose Green? My biggest takeaway is the power of resilience and unyielding persistence. Life may throw curveballs, and sometimes it might seem like a dead end, but as Rose beautifully puts it, there is always another day, there is always a way out, there is always someone who has it worse. The key is to keep going. No matter the circumstances, no matter the setbacks, the focus should always be on moving forward. I strongly encourage everyone, whether you're an athlete, student, or a professional, to internalize this invaluable lesson of resilience. By maintaining your perseverance in the face of adversity, you can navigate life's challenges and come out stronger. I want to thank Rose for her kind generosity and the wisdom she shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can follow Rose on Twitter at Dr. Empress Rose. To learn how you can be ready for your next step in the game of life, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We look forward to welcoming you back for episode 66. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.